Height is exactly... Oh, oh. We are going to get a nice... Is it better? You can hear the sound quality better? Yeah, this is a very expensive uh, speaking mic. Is that right? Singing mic, is it? Okay, good. Um, can you turn with me to 3 John, please? 3 John. On page 1, 2, 3, 2. And on your way in, you also receive this outline, um, which would be helpful to have in front of you as well. in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you that you speak to us through your word. Father, as we consider this word this evening, we pray that uh, you will speak to each one of our hearts and help us to follow the good examples uh, that you have set before us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever read a very juicy personal letter that was addressed to someone else. I have. The boy was interested. It was a letter that had to do with church politics. It was written by a senior figure who was well respected in the Christian community, and you've probably heard of him. But he was writing about another church leader who was, and you have to say this, a, a nasty piece of work who tried to control everything that happened in the church. Bad mouth those who preached the gospel. Probably a bit of a heretic as well. Anyway, there were some people who wanted to preach the gospel in his particular area, and he could have helped them, but he wouldn't. In fact, he did the opposite. He tried his level best to stop them, and threatened anyone in the church who tried to help them. And the letter I was reading was having a go at him and encouraging the recipient to ignore him and to keep on helping those who are preaching the gospel. Now, does that sound familiar? Of course it does, because you've read the letter too, haven't you? It's 3 John, that we just read just now. 3 John is the shortest letter in the New Testament, but uh, I have to admit that tells you nothing at all about the length of this sermon. It was so short, it could have fitted on one piece of papyrus, which is uh, what they wrote on at the time. And the author was the Apostle John, and he was writing to his friend called Gaius. Now, how this letter got around, I don't know. Maybe Gaius released it so that John's position would be very clear. Uh, that would have helped him. But in any case, we know that God was sovereignly working so that what we have here is not just John's word to Gaius, but God's word to us. John names three characters in this letter. There's Gaius, beloved friend, Diotrephes, an evil dictator, and Demetrius as an example to follow. Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. And we'll look at them in turn as we work through this passage. Now the first person that uh, John writes about is Gaius. Now, the name Gaius is, is mentioned elsewhere in the New Testament, but it's probably not the same person, because Gaius is a very common name. Like you throw a stone, you hit a Gaius in those days, a bit like Andrew in some circles. John had a very close relationship with Gaius. 
John calls, keeps on calling him beloved. And in verse 4, you see that he calls him one of his children. Maybe Gaius was converted or discipled through John's ministry. John loves him. And he's not ashamed to say so. Quite freely calls him beloved. In fact, look at verse 1. He says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. John loves his friend Gaius. And he loves Gaius in the truth. Sometimes people think that truth and love are like two opposite things. You need to balance off between the two things. But the Apostle John always sees them as being together. Truth shows us God's love and gives us the motivation to love. And truth tells us how to love. John knows the truth because he knows the God who has revealed himself in Jesus and shown his love in the death of Jesus. And from the depths of that truth, guided by that truth, he loves. And because John loves Gaius, then he wishes him well. And he prays for him. Verse 2. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. Here John saying, look, I wish all the best for you. Go well, prosper, including your health. He's, he's genuinely concerned for him. He prays for him. He wishes him well. And he tells him that in part of this greeting. Now, we don't want to make too much of it, because well, it is a greeting, isn't it? Right? If you get a letter that says, hi, how are you? Hope you're fine. And then goes on with the rest of the letter. You won't spend too much time thinking about, wow, he really loves me. He says, hopes I'm fine, you know. But you can't just dismiss it as a convention. Because John did decide to adopt this convention, and I take it that he was sincere in his uh, hope and prayer for Gaius. But what I don't think we can do is say that this verse means that God wants all Christians to prosper. That is, I don't think we can say from here that if we are Christians, we should always expect everything to happen the way we want it to. Now, some people do that. I've heard preaching that says that. Verse 2, he says, I pray all will go well with you. You may be good health as it goes well with your soul. So really what John wants is for Gaius to go well physically as well as spiritually because God wants Christians to be physically well and prosperous all the time. But it doesn't fit, does it? With the rest of the Bible. Which talks about the suffering God's people will endure in this life. It doesn't fit with the experience of Paul who was beaten and shipwrecked and stoned and sleepless and foodless and exposed and it's worked for the gospel. Those fellow workers in the gospel had occasion of being sick and not healed. It doesn't fit with the experience of Peter who wrote that if we suffer for doing good we are blessed. It doesn't fit with the experience of Jesus who though he walked completely in God's will ended up with nothing hanging on a cross. Of course God was working in that situation through Jesus and brought our ultimate good, our forgiveness and eternal life and glory. And, and of course Jesus rose from the dead and ascended on high and has given the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. And of course Peter and Paul and John and Gaius and you and I will share with him in his glory. But until then, the Bible is very clear that we can expect suffering. Everything will, in the end, be alright, but not necessarily along the way. But this verse is not a guarantee that it will be. But it does show that it's good to pray for our friends' health and welfare as well as their soul. 
If we love our friends, we will be concerned for the whole person, won't we? But our prayers will always, if not necessarily in words, but in spirit, echo the prayer of Jesus. Thy will be done. If only God knows what is best. John loves Gaius, greets him, wishes him well. And because he loves him, he also rejoices in him. Verse 3. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. When John hears that Gaius is walking in the truth, he rejoices greatly. He's very happy. In fact, he says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy. See, John knows that the best thing for Gaius is that he continues to walk in the truth. That he keeps on following Jesus. That he keeps on trusting in Jesus. Death on the cross for him. He keeps on believing Jesus. Letting that affect his life. And John knows there can be nothing better for Gaius than by having his sins forgiven, having a positive relationship with God now, and, and being with him forever in the end. And so John knows no greater joy than hearing that this one that he loves walks in the truth. Sure, he is concerned for his health. We've already seen that. Sure, he hopes his things go well for him in all different areas of his life. But ultimately, for John, this is what is important. He knows that it would be tragic if Gaius had a large and loving family and then wandered away from the faith. Or if he had a brilliant career and all his investments took off and his business was successful, his wealth multiplied, and he had no treasure in heaven. It would be completely pointless if Gaius had great health until the age of 99 and then went to hell. John loves Gaius like a father. He knows what's best for him. And he knows that one thing that will ultimately come is that he continues to walk in the truth. He continues to live in the truth of Jesus. Friends, what is it that we really want in life? For ourselves and for those we love? Is it really that job? That car? That mortgage? That course at university. They're all legitimate things to want. But what do we want most of all? Is it to follow Jesus? Or is it that one of those other things are getting in the way? I used to be involved in a church in Sydney which was full of young families and the church, the, the church of parents were often in a bind because the time for church and Sunday school and youth group clashed with children's competitive sports that was held every Sunday morning. And people had a hard time to choose them. What do they want more for their children? Sporting success and peer admiration or Christian fellowship? One of my students at the university church, which we went to after that, had great difficulty when she went back to Indonesia to work because Corruption was rife everywhere. It was even worse than here. Under pressure from her bosses because she refused to participate in it. I'm sure many of you have had that experience as well. What was more important to her? A career? Fitting in with a company? Getting on with a boss? Or integrity as a Christian? 
Doing sports is good. Getting on with the boss is good. Far more important is that we walk in the truth. Most of you know that uh, my wife Judy and I have two daughters, Hannah and Beth, and we love them very much, and there's lots of things that we want for them. I tell you, there's only one thing that we really want for them. Our prayer for them as they grow up is that they would know and love Jesus. They would trust Him with their lives. Everything else is negotiable. Everything else is secondary. Everything else is optional. If God gives us this one thing, they walk in the truth. And so we need to reflect that in our prayers for them, in our decisions that we're making as they grow up. You see, I can say no greater joy than to see them walking in the truth. See them following Jesus. John knows that his friend Gaius is walking in the truth, and that, that brought him his great joy. John knew that Gaius was going well spiritually because he had received good reports about him uh, from people who had come back from seeing him. He heard of his great love and particularly he heard how he was showing hospitality to um, traveling, straight, uh, traveling teachers. Uh, read about that in verse uh, 5 onwards. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. Now these strangers, these brothers, these are, these are missionaries sent out from John's church to preach the gospel in the area wherever Gaius is. See, back then they didn't have mission societies and organizations that, you know, looked after the missionaries, make sure they're, uh, that they're, they've got support and all that. These, these missionaries, these traveling teachers, were sent out with the gospel and they were dependent on their fellow Christians along the way to look after them and support them and help them get to the next stage. So they keep on traveling with the, with the message of salvation. And Gaius had been one of the people who had taken care of them. He had shown love and friendship to them, even though they were strangers, because even though they're strangers, they were his brothers. Because the gospel they carried was the gospel of his Lord. And so when they returned to their home church where John was, they reported how Gaius had looked after them. And John was thanking Gaius for that and he wants him to keep on doing it. In the second half of verse 6 he says, You would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So he's encouraging Gaius to keep on showing hospitality to traveling evangelists. The term send them on their journey probably means financing them for the next stage of their journey. And Gaius was to do that in a manner that pleases God, in a manner worthy of God. Because these missionaries, they were God's representatives. They carried his gospel. God's representatives, so we should treat them in a manner worthy of that. Verse 7 and 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore we ought to support people like this, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. In those days, teachers of uh, various religions would go around and raise money from the public for their cause. Now, for example, we have one inscription about a slave of a Syrian goddess who went on journeys in service of his goddess, and each time he brought back 70 bags, like 70 bags of money. That's pretty good takings, isn't it? 
And Christians were to do no such thing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. We do not go asking for funds for gospel ministry from the world. Because, uh, here he says, that they accept nothing from the Gentiles. See, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't need anything made by human hands. He's more than able to provide for his people any way he chooses. He doesn't need financial support. He is God. And so he doesn't call on us, his servants, to go and ask, go around the streets and ask money for people for his work. Yet, he has chosen to use us to support other Christians who are taking the gospel out. We are the ones who are given the obligation, or really the privilege, of funding and looking after gospel workers. Why? The same reason he uses us to preach the gospel in the first place. God could have preached the gospel to the whole world without our help, couldn't he? He did it for Paul on the road to Damascus. Bang! Woo! Who are you, Lord? Okay, alright, okay. He could do it every time if he wanted to. But he didn't. He decided to use us so that we would be, end of verse 8, fellow workers with him. He gave us the task of sharing the gospel with our friends and neighbors and the responsibility of taking it out into the world. He's kind enough to give us a part in this great work of salvation, to make us partners with him. Now, in the same way, he wants us to be partners with each other. See, we don't all have to be missionaries or evangelists to to share in their work. As we support those who are sent out with the gospel, as we pray for them, as we show them hospitality, as we give money so they can concentrate on preaching the gospel instead of working, we are in partnership with them in the gospel. Those who take out the gospel and those who support them are partners in the enterprise of the gospel. And so that's why we don't raise funds for gospel ministry for non-Christians, because we can't be in that kind of partnership with them. They're not our partners in this thing. Because in the end, supporting gospel ministry is not just about money. If it was just about money, then if money was the bottom line, it doesn't matter where your money comes from as long as you get it. But the bottom line is not money. The important thing is partnership in the gospel. When we're partners together in the gospel, we use our money, we use our talents, we use our energy, we use every whatever God's given us to work together to bring the gospel out to share with those who are taking it out further afield. It's all about partnership, working together. So Gaius, he's a partner in the spread of the gospel. Now, why does John have to urge Gaius to keep on supporting the missionaries if he's already doing it? Well, see, the problem is there is opposition to this kind of action and it comes from a man called Diotrephes, which is the second of our three characters. And Diotrephes, we've called him an evil dictator. An evil dictator. Have a look, at, have a look with me at some verses in 9 to, 9 to 10. I've written something to the church. So John's actually already written beforehand. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense about us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to 
and puts them out of the church. He's a terrible wicked man, isn't he? In verse 9 he says he puts himself first. He likes being the head honcho. He likes being number one. And his motivations are pride and power, not love and truth. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be a leader if your desire is to serve, but Diotrephes knows nothing about servant leadership of Jesus, and, and he rejects the authority of the Apostle Paul. Look at verse 9 again. Not the Apostle Paul, the Apostle John. Look at verse 9 again. He says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. See, John had written to them, and Diotrephes won't listen to him. John had asked them, please keep on supporting these evangelists. And Diotrephes won't listen to John. In fact, he was spreading lies about him. He says he was talking wicked nonsense against us. It's malicious. It's slander. He's saying things against the apostle, which is just not true. And why is he doing it? Well, he's against the gospel that John and his friends are trying to proclaim. We will not support the missionaries. In fact, if you look at the next bit in verse 10, it says, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to. Not only will he not help them, he will stop those in the church who try to help them, and not even that, puts them out of the church. Okay, you try and help these people who are coming through, out you go. You see why guys have been so tempted to to stop supporting the traveling teachers? He wouldn't want to get Keith out of his church, would he? And you see why John has to write to him to urge and say, look, you must keep on being partners with, with these people who are bringing the gospel out. Because he would have been tempted, wouldn't he? He'd say, okay, for the sake of peace, let's just ignore these evangelists and let's be a comfortable church by ourselves. And John says, no, that won't do. Love does not mean pandering to people like Diotrephes. Because love is informed by truth. And truth and love will tell you that the gospel must go out. That people like Diotrephes must be opposed and exposed. John says he'll do so when he comes. But you notice, Diotrephes, he's very, very powerful in the church. He's probably a leader of the church. So powerful that anyone who goes against what he says, he can expel them out of the church. That's a pretty amazing, isn't it? Friends, sometimes we have evil men in church leadership. It's a fact of life. Sometimes we have evil men in church leadership. And it's been happening since the earliest times. Since the times of the apostles. So if you come across it, don't be surprised. The Bible warns it will happen. It's here. In fact, again and again it warns about this. Even uh, our Anglican articles say, in the visible church, the evil will ever be mingled with the good. Article 27 of the 39 articles, the evil will ever be mingled with the good. See, people like Diotrephes will, will always be there. Some of them will be leaders. And sometimes that will be scary. Because you don't know who to follow. Just because he's a leader in the church doesn't mean you follow him. 
how do you know who to follow? Back at verse 9. Remember who's writing this. This is John writing, the Apostle John. And he says, I've written to the church by biographies who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So the problem is, people like Diotrephes don't acknowledge the apostles' authority. John is an apostle. He is personally appointed by Jesus himself. He has Jesus' delegated authority. But Diotrephes refuses to acknowledge the apostolic authority of John. And by doing so, he refuses to acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Where do we find that kind of authority today? Not among the leadership. It's not that that authority comes down, you know, put your hand on the next person, you put a hand on the next person, you put a hand on the next person, and the authority flows down that way. No, no. It's still in the apostolic. It's in the apostolic writings. We still have the words of the apostles there in, there in the New Testament. The Bible is God's word, and so it carries God's ultimate authority, but it's also the, epi- the apostles' words. It carries the apostles' authority as well. Friends, if you're deciding whether to follow a church leader, the first question to ask is this. Does he acknowledge the Bible's authority? And will he submit to the Bible's authority? Will he place himself under the teachings of the apostles and faithfully teach them to others? Or will he try to come up with something else? Is it about him? Or is it about the apostolic message? If he will not submit to the apostles' authority, then you know you've got a diatrophies. And don't follow him. Verse 11. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. See, John doesn't think Diotrephes is really a Christian, does he? His life doesn't show it. Those who are evil prove, he says, that they don't know God. He might be a church leader, but example is not to be followed. On the other hand, there is a third man who is called Demetrius. And John introduces him in verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Uh, we don't know who Demetrius is, actually. Maybe he was the person who was carrying the letter. That's why John is saying nice things about him. Uh, maybe that he's one of the missionaries. Maybe he's one of the people that Diotrephes kicked out of the church for supporting the missionaries. Uh, whoever he was, this is someone who was warmly commended. And says, even by the truth itself. Truth in John is God's, God's personal revelation of himself in Jesus Christ. And so, when you measure up uh, Demetrius against what God has spoken, our God has revealed, you see that, that he is commended. He lives a life that is consistent with the truth. 
Like Gaius, he submits to the truth. He obeys the truth. He lives a life of love. And beyond that, we can say little about the man because John says little about him in this letter. It's a bit surprising, unless Gaius knows him well anyway, or maybe John has come to the end of his papyrus, so he puts the conclusion quickly. You know, like when you get to the end of the postcard, he's okay, spitting what he can say, bye-bye, or something like that at the end. All right. Well, maybe John's got a plan that involves Demetrius and doesn't want to write it down unless he gets in the wrong hands. That would explain verse 13, but I don't know. Now look at verse 13. He says, I have much to write to you, but I would rather not write with paper and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we'll talk face to face. Now, whatever the reason is, we know that God is sovereign. and So what we have here is all the information that we need. All the information God has willed to give us. And we know that John holds up Demetrius as an example for Gaius of, something, of someone that is good. Now notice that. John tells Demetrius, John tells Gaius to imitate Demetrius. Now, Gaius, he's a mature adult, isn't he? Established Christian and somewhat a leader as well. And yet John gives him someone to imitate. You see, role models are not just for teenagers. They're for all of us. Who do you imitate? Oh, I don't imitate anyone. I'm my own man. I'm my own woman. That's not true, is it? We all imitate each other. We all imitate other people. And if we think we don't imitate anyone, it's just because we're doing it subconsciously. We're not even aware of who we're imitating. It's, it's actually better to work it out. It's better to know who's having an influence on our lives. And then we can decide if it's a good influence or a bad one. We work out who we want to imitate. We can take responsibility for deciding whether or not they're good role models for us. We need to consciously choose who we're going to imitate rather than just let it happen. Because some people, like Diotrephes, who love to be perse, have strong personalities. They're natural leaders, and unless we we're thinking about it, we might just, just follow much better to be thinking about who we're going to imitate and look out for the right role models. Demetrius, Gaius, John. Look out for people who walk in love and truth and then imitate them. Now, Gaius is going to have a rough time at church if he does what John is asking him to do, won't he? Diotrephes will start attacking him, just like he attacked John. He'll probably start saying false things about him, start spreading rumors about him, start malicious lies about him. And he'll probably try and kick him out of the church as well. Gaze is going to have a hard time. So verse 15... John prays for him and says, Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, every one of them. He says, Look, we've got our support. We've got friends here who want to support you. They greet you and you greet our friends. There's other people there who are, who are on side as well, who are like-minded in this. You greet them as well. Yeah, you're not alone. John and Gaius, 
lives. They work together for the gospel. They are in partnership with other like-minded people in their congregations. And as we've seen, partnership in the gospel, that's what it's about. What about us? Well, we're not alone either, are we? We're partners with each other in the work of the gospel. We work together for the Lord Jesus. We're friends. And we seek to win the world together. Tell people about Jesus together. Support each other in the, in the different roles that we face. I know many people outside who support us and pray for us as well. When our buildings got flooded, all kinds of people were sending emails around Focus, asking people to pray for us. Uh, I remember being forwarded an email from, from there. I thought, wow, that's amazing, isn't it? These people on the other side of the world praying for us. I was very touched by that. We have people from Senebs who come halfway across the world each year to, to share our mission with us in August. We have people who come halfway across the world each, each year to spend little extended periods of time with us from Senebs. It's, it's fantastic. Partnership. It's a valuable thing. It must have been taken lightly. There will always be people like the Hartrophies who will oppose what we do. It will always be the case. God's people are to support each other, help each other, and partner each other, as together we seek to serve Him. Friends, next week we'll celebrate another year of SMAC. Celebrate four years of SMAC 1 and one year of SMAC 2. Okay, we'll take in a date that's halfway between the two anniversaries so we can all celebrate at the same time. We'll celebrate that. Now, I don't know what the year will hold for us. I don't know what it will hold for me. I don't know what it will hold for you. But what we need to do is set ourselves the task of imitating good examples. Working together in partnership for the sake of the gospel. We start with the example of John. Who cared enough to write to his opponent. and cared enough to write to his friend. Who prayed for his friend, not just for his soul, but for everything about him. But who had no greater joy than to know that his children are walking in the truth. Who encourages friends to keep on pressing on in the truth, keep on pressing on and doing the right thing, and help those who are taking out the gospel in spite of opposition. I wasn't afraid to take a stand against those who would oppose this. We could look at the example of Gaius, who walked in the truth, who showed love by welcoming the missionaries and showing hospitality, hospitality to them and supporting them in their gospel task and he was about to suffer for his good work. But most of all, we look to the, to the example of Jesus. Diotrephes spoke evil nonsense. Jesus speaks the words of eternal life. Diotrephes refused to welcome the brothers. Jesus died and took our punishment so that we could be God's children have a welcome into God's family. The Atrophies looked out for himself. Jesus lived and died for other people. Diotrophies wanted to be first. Jesus, though he was in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of his servant.
humbled himself even to death on the cross. Brothers and sisters, do not imitate evil, but imitate what is good. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for giving him to die for us on the cross, to take away our sins. Thank you for raising him from the dead and exalting him to your right hand on high. Thank you that through him we have forgiveness and eternal life. We thank you for the truth that is found in him. Our Father, we pray that you enable us to express this truth in love and to walk in this truth all the days of our lives. Help us to be people who not only do that ourselves, but who long for others to do that as well and see that as the biggest priority. We thank you for our partners in the Gospel. Thank you for each other. Thank you for our partners in other places. Thank you for forgiving us each other. To work together. To encourage each other. Press each other on. That we may live for you and, and take your word to others. Help us look after each other. Help us to support each other. Help us especially when the time comes when when people will oppose us when people who are evil and who seek to hinder the gospel will seek to destroy what, what, what you are doing Father please give us wisdom and boldness to take a stand Father we pray that you would help us to be people who imitate not what is evil, but what is good. Help us to find appropriate role models. We may see and take on board and put into action what we see. Most of all, help us to be people who follow the Lord Jesus, who love Him, obey Him and take on board his example of life. Help us be proud. We ask it in his name.